You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 Network. Your host, Brittany Martin. Brian Mariani is the founder of Mirror Placement, a Ruby on Rails-focused recruiting firm based in Boston, Massachusetts. Since 2006, Brian has been connecting Rails engineers with Rails startups across the country. He thoroughly enjoys being a part of the Rails community and helping foster the growth, camaraderie, and mentorship the community is known for. The relationships Brian has built with Rails engineers and startup founders over the years are at the heart of what the recruiting firm is all about. He loves helping engineers find jobs they love and helping companies find developers they need. When he's not behind his keyboard, Brian can be found on various baseball diamonds coaching his two sons or cheering on his wife and daughter in their field hockey endeavors. Welcome to the show, Brian. Thank you very much, Brittany. It's uh, very nice of you to have me on, and uh, I've been really looking forward to this. I'm excited. Wonderful. So, Brian, what is your origin story? Wow, origin story. So, yeah, it's one I like to tell. It actually, uh, I know you mentioned baseball in my bio there a little bit. Um, that's where it all began, believe it or not, was at a Boston Red Sox game. So my uh, fiancé at the time uh, scored a couple tickets to the Red Sox game. We uh, we attended and lo and behold, I would end up sitting next to my future co-founder. And uh, so at the same time, I was sitting next to my future wife and future co-founder. And, and <laughs> I was sure of my future wife, but the co-founder, <laughs> we found out a little later. But uh, yeah, so uh, you know, at the game, I met this guy, Tom, who was just a phenomenal guy. We really hit it off. He was telling me about his software consultancy that he was spinning up fresh out of school. And I was very intrigued by it and uh, had a great day. Uh, I think the Red Sox won, which was good. And um, we kind of went our separate ways. That was the summer of 2001. And a few months later in 2001, uh, unfortunately, as we all know, was when September 11th happened. And um, that had a huge impact on uh, the business I was in, which was the trade show uh, business. It was a, a software company that I was working for that um, designed software for selling trade show booth space, exhibit floor space. And uh, obviously because of September 11th, no one was traveling. The trade show industry really took a hit and and I found myself out of a job, unfortunately. Um, but like anything else, you know, when one door closes, another opens. And, you know, I got back in touch with uh, Tom, the, the fellow I met at the Red Sox game and said, hey, you know, it might be good timing to uh, get back together here. So he, uh, he agreed and, and we did and we hit it off and uh, you know I came aboard um, and when I came aboard the company is uh, Atlantis Technology and Atlantis um, wasn't into recruiting at the time it was a software consultancy and still is to this day and we were building a lot of uh, web uh, web applications and websites for different clients uh, that evolved into mobile over time and it was a great experience you know we always say that uh, software is our lens through which we explore the world, and it's been so true. You know, it was my first venture into it, um, into a software consultancy, and just kind of understanding uh, different entrepreneurs and their visions and helping them build that. It's it's really been rewarding. And you know, all the work we were doing in 2002, all the way up until 2005, was in PHP, and uh, things were going well until 2005 arrived, and we all know what happened then. Uh, Ruby on Rails uh, hit hit the mainstream. You know, it was really born, and we started using it for all the client work that we were doing at Atlantis. And uh, our developers were really a lot of really early adopters here that uh, ran with it. 
loved it for its speed and efficiency, of course. Had a couple engineers contribute to the Rails core framework at the time. And uh, all of the client work we were doing was now Rails work. And that was very rewarding. We were really cranking through work a lot faster. And what ended up happening was some of our clients said to us, hey, you know, you guys did a great job getting us off the ground, building our 1.0 in Rails. The only problem is now that we're kind of off on our own, we need to hire engineers to kind of continue on with the code base that you guys have developed. And they asked us for help in, in terms of finding developers. You know, Rails was so new at the time and uh, the community was so tiny. And they said, you know, where can we find folks? So through our own network, we actually helped a couple of those early clients uh, find some early hires just through friends of our CTO. And that worked out well. And we didn't charge our clients anything more for it. But there was this one day where we kind of sat back and said, you know what? This is what recruiters do. It's like maybe uh, maybe there's like a sister business to be had here along with our consulting business. And that's sort of the day that we decided that we were going to launch Mirror. Wow. So do you continue to do consulting as well, or is everything focused on Mirror now? No, yeah, it's a it's really a two-faceted company. So Atlantis is still thriving. It's a, it's a consultancy very much like ThoughtBot or Pivotal Labs, um, you know, that, that people have become accustomed to. Um, still building all kinds of great uh, products for, for various clients. Um, that still is going strong, very big part of our business. Uh, we're all under the same roof. Uh, I run Mirror, which is on uh, one side of the wall that, of course, is dedicated uh, solely to Ruby on Rails. Wow. Okay. So what kind of challenges did you face in launching Mirror, and were there any specific founding principles guiding your first venture into recruiting? Yeah, very good question. So uh, it was funny. You know, we, we were kind of getting into recruiting with no experience at all, kind of you know, didn't know what we were doing, but interestingly had dealt with recruiters and sort of understood what uh, you know what I think a lot of engineers could get frustrated by and we said you know, if we're gonna get into recruiting we definitely have to do some things differently um, so one we said we definitely have to specialize so we said who better to be rails recruiters than rails engineers uh, we, we can make that our specialization you know we will focus just on Ruby on rails and do that one thing really well so many recruiters tend to be all things to all people. You know, they'll they'll find you a Java engineer, a PHP engineer, et cetera. We said, let's just be super focused. And, uh, you know, because of that, I think um, a couple other things would happen. Um, one, in doing so, we wanted to be shockingly transparent in our communication. We thought that would be a big differentiator for us as well. And I guess what I mean by that is, uh, you know, uh, you've probably received some of these emails yourself and maybe some of the listeners have as well. You know, a typical recruiter email will say, you know, hey, Brittany, I've got a venture-backed stealth mode startup, uh, you know, in a billion-dollar industry ripe for disruption. Like, I want to talk to you about it. It's not saying too much, you know, and, and we were used to seeing that as well. And we said, you know what, let's be different, you know. And, and so a mirror email uh, in our outreach would be something like, hey, Brittany, I'd like to talk to you about Carbon5. You know, Carbon5.com, they're a consultancy on Howard Street, San Francisco, I know Christian, I know Mike, a couple of the founders. We've worked with them for seven years. Tremendous place. They have an opening for a senior engineer. We want to chat with you about it. You know, being very transparent about who the company is, who we're recruiting for, our relationship with them, things like that. And that little sort of decision in, in being very transparent has been incredibly valuable, I think, in a differentiator for us in the business. Um, so that was that was another thing. Uh, two other things that we decided when we first started this was to save everyone time. 
that was something that uh, you know we felt like uh, you know in the past most recruiters create a lot of noise but not a lot of value. We said let's let's create the value. So um, something like you know if in, in your resume let's say you know you use Java in the past but have been a Rails engineer for the past five years. Well. It's obviously not going to make much sense for us to send you a Java job because you're probably not interested in that. But that happens a lot. I, I talk to developers all the time who will say, yeah, recruiters try to force these jobs on me that, yeah, I used to work in that language or that framework, but it's really not what I'm interested in now. So again, that, that sort of specialization and saving time, we wanted to, to make sure that we were sending only applicable jobs to engineers who want them. And then uh, finally, really taking a long view approach. I, I think that is sort of a big picture um, vision that we had from the beginning was that uh, recruiting, again, typically has always seemed to us to have been uh, transactional in nature and in, in sort of what can you do today that's going to earn a quick buck. And it just never really sat well with me. I always felt like the key to running a good recruiting operation is probably going to be the, the, the relationships that you, that you foster over the years, you know, with engineers and with entrepreneurs. So uh, my thought was, you know, we can't think of anything transactionally. It always has to be with the long view approach. So if, um, if an engineer works with us for a couple months, receives a great offer and doesn't accept it, it's not a problem. You know, that, that won't be their last job. There'll be a next one. They'll have some friends, I'm sure, that they'll want to refer. Um, you know, we, there's, there's plenty of opportunity out there. And at the end of the day, we, we love to see engineers happy and finding a job that they love. And if they find it through us, that's wonderful. There's plenty of those instances. If they find it on their own, that's great too. And, and we just kind of want the engineers to know that we always have their back and want to see the best outcome for them. That makes so much sense. And I can personally vouch for Mirror. I had reached out to Mirror a couple years ago when I was moving from San Francisco to Pittsburgh. And at the time, there weren't any opportunities in Pittsburgh through Mirror. But I get an email every couple months from my recruiter at Mirror, and it's always very kind and thoughtful and not clickbaity, which is the majority of the recruiting emails that I get. And often I don't even respond to most recruiting emails, but because this person is so kind and it's just really just a quick note, I always feel like responding. And it's just nice knowing that, um, that someone is out there who is looking for opportunities for me, even if I'm not currently interested. Oh, that's really nice of you to say that. It's, uh... It, it certainly means a lot, and yeah, we've, it's kind of been a founding principle from the beginning. You know, we don't want to we don't want to annoy engineers, or, or again, feel like we're just being noisy, or, or kind of always uh, always bumping them and and that sort of thing. We we definitely want to you know give folks their space, but you know let them know that we're here. You know, when the time's right, we're here, and um, you know we kind of work at whatever pace that uh, the engineer uh, prefers. Excellent. So we've covered this on the podcast a lot, the whole idea that Ruby and Rails are winding down, but of course, I want to hear it straight from you, Brian. What does the Ruby and Rails job market look like right now? Yeah, yeah, gosh, we are at the front lines literally of this. So <laughs> it's, uh, I, I am happy to report it has never been better. And uh, and I know some of your, your past guests, you know, I've heard some of the, the past episodes. Um, it, it, it really is super healthy. And uh, you know, the demand obviously still far outweighs the supply of, of engineers out there. We did hear a lot about Elixir and continue to hear about Elixir for sure, for good reason, um, especially given Elixir's creator. It makes sense. It's essentially kind of like a first cousin to Rails. Um, and in that community is growing. But uh, there was you know, a couple of years back, there certainly was this fever pitch that Elixir was going to take over. Rails was going to go by the wayside and that sort of thing. But um, it, it obviously never happened. And uh, I, I think both 
frameworks or both languages and frameworks will continue to grow um, in the way that they will. But Rails is super healthy, and it's not it's not the new hotness that it was in the mid two thousands, but it's it's mature and it's you can get a lot done with it and that's the key and and i think the community behind rails is also so darn strong that employers you know when they're making a decision what to build their code base in when they're getting started um, it's kind of tough to to look at rails and not be excited about it because it, it still is the fastest and the quickest way to get going uh, but the community is so strong and and it's so welcoming that um, it's 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 great to be a part of it, and we've seen that year in and year out. And I personally have never been busier between, you know, client calls that we're having, you know, helping folks recruit, and um, engineers are obviously very receptive to seeing what's out there. So, yeah, the state of uh, state of Rails in 2019 is uh, certainly an A plus, super strong. That's excellent. Well, you just made the entire podcast for me. So. <laughs> <laughs> this is great news. So I do have to ask, are there any specific trends or accompanying technologies like perhaps GraphQL or React that the Ruby on Rails community should be paying attention to when looking at jobs? Yeah, very good question. Um, and, and there always are, for sure. And, and you touched on a couple of them, no doubt. Um, you know, I, I would say if, if you asked me this question in 2012-ish, it would have been Ember. Yeah, if you asked me in 2015, it would have been Angular. Uh, it's certainly React now. Um, and, and that landscape, especially on the front end, is constantly changing. The one constant has absolutely been Rails. Um, and, you know, one thing I, w- I would say is that uh, from an engineer's perspective, if, uh, you know, if, if folks are up for, you know, a little advice or kind of what I've seen in the market is that, you know, one thing I hear from employers is that uh, sort of chasing chasing the latest and greatest technology isn't as important as having a willingness and hunger to constantly be learning and constantly embracing and, and understanding and, and, again, you know, pushing yourself to learn those new technologies because um, one of the things that's, you know, important to avoid uh, in an agile software development environment, of course, is uh, becoming a technology ideologue. And, uh, you know, that... that uh, constant hunger and constant uh, willingness to exhibit uh, the fact that you want to learn those new technologies is, is almost more important than knowing them out of the gate. How would you display that willingness to learn to an employer? Would that be showing open source projects or conferences or even just letting an employer know that you've been doing various tutorials and technologies or listening to podcasts, etc.? Yeah, you named a lot of good ways to do it. Um, you know, a lot of companies now, I will say, uh, do make it a point to carve out a percentage of time in every developer's week or even day where they can explore new technologies and, and learn new things. A lot of companies obviously are embracive of uh, even paying for you know trips to conferences, et cetera, any way that, that they can embrace uh, their engineers continuing their education. You know, they're, they're supportive of that. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, oftentimes there's some time during the day to explore some of that. And um, you're being eager to, whether it's you know, within your Slack channel or whatnot, you know, to constantly be asking good questions, um, surrounding yourself with other like-minded engineers at your organization. But, yeah, it, a lot of times it is off hours, too, um, kind of digging in to uh, a lot of those blogs and podcasts like this. It's, it's amazing how much you can learn so quickly. Um, so being able to show that off and, and having a sense of collaboration with other engineers is what I found is the best way. Awesome. Well, I'm sure Brian has a ton of more excellent advice to share with us, but we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. 
Datadog is a monitoring and analytics platform for cloud-scale infrastructure applications and logs. Datadog integrates seamlessly with more than 350 technologies so you can track every layer of your complex microservice architecture all in one place. Distributed tracing for Ruby applications and APM provide end-to-end -end visibility into requests wherever they go, across containers, hosts, and service boundaries. With rich dashboards, algorithmic alerts, and collaboration tools, Datadog provides your team with the tools they need to quickly troubleshoot and optimize modern applications. See for yourself and start a 14-day free trial today, and Datadog will send you a free t-shirt. Just visit datadoghq.com slash rubyonrails. The link will be in the show notes. Thank you to Datadog for sponsoring the show. So Brian, how does the market look different for a junior developer versus a mid-career developer versus a senior developer? Yeah, um, well, happy to report that certainly the, the market is strong for all three. Um, there are several differences, though. You know, one, one difference, I would say, is that uh, you know, for junior engineers who are looking to break in and just get started, um, a couple things. One, you know, depending on, on, I think, where you live, uh, you know, some good news is that, you know, the salaries, that the floor uh, from a compensation standpoint seems to be higher, which is always good news. Um, but, you know, for those junior engineers, you know, a, a bit more of advice that uh, I, I tend to see work so well is uh, as you're sort of honing in on what, where the right fit might be, the right company might be, um, it's important, if you can, to find an environment that embraces pair programming. I, I feel like it is from the 13 years that I've been running Mirror now, I, I feel like one of the things I hear over and over again from engineers who have made that leap from junior to mid, from mid to senior, is that whenever they're in a culture of learning, a culture of pairing especially, um, they can get up to speed so fast. There are so many knowledge gaps that can be solved quickly uh, by sitting next to an engineer and sharing a keyboard um, you know, with someone more senior than yourself. That, um, that really seems to go a long way. It's, it's been one of the best bits of career advice um, really almost for any level engineer, but especially for, for juniors looking to break in. Uh, the market's very hot, uh, definitely across all three levels. I would say we tend to hear a little bit more uh, from our clients to find more intermediate or mid-career, as you said, engineers or senior level engineers. Um, some interesting developments there would be that uh, the, the ability to work remotely um, has kind of long been reserved for the most the more senior engineers who have been around the block a bit kind of been there done that know how to be efficient and effective remotely um, that has bled into sort of the mid-level now which is is pretty interesting um, and some of that has to do with I, I think a, a slowly growing remote culture at a lot of companies but um, but for mid-level engineers it's kind of a first I've, I've seen more of this in the past year year and a half than I really ever have before so I think that's that's heartening. It just means more opportunity out there for, for mid-level folks. Um, and then for senior engineers, obviously, yeah, you know, the world is your oyster. <laughs> uh, every, everyone is, uh, and especially for those remote roles too, but, um, you know, senior folks are extremely highly coveted. And, uh, you know, it's always a pleasure to, to get to work with those veterans whenever I can. So let's talk about startups. What are startups looking for in an engineer? Are they still looking for that elusive full stack developer? It's a great question. This has also changed. Um, so yes, if they can find them. I, I think with the proliferation, especially of React and the changing, uh, changing uh, of the front end, I, 
I do feel as though a lot of my clients, you know, they're always looking for great Ruby skills and historically have always asked me for full stack engineers. They've got to be able to be comfortable from the uh, server side to the client side. But the reality is uh, things have changed and it really, I feel like React has had a lot to do with it because now more than ever, um, and, and microservicing has as well, uh, I feel like a lot of clients will tell me, look, if someone's just really good on the back end and they know Rails inside and out and, they, and they're not as, as keen on the front end, that's fine. Um, you know, that, that person's still very hireable. Uh, likewise, some of my, you know, longstanding Rails clients will say, look, you know, even if the person doesn't have, is kind of light on Rails experience, if they're really good in the front end, they know React well, we'll take them. In both cases, and again, I touched on this earlier, what employers tell me is they say, please just make sure that the person is willing to learn. So if they've got that, if they got the back end down and they haven't had exposure to something like React because it is newer, they just maybe haven't had the time, whatever, as long as they're willing to learn, we'll embrace that. Um, and, and same on same with the front end engineers. You know, if, if they're willing to get up to speed in the back end, sit with some of our other uh, back end engineers and, and kind of learn from them, that's great. Um, you know, they, they they tend to stay away from the folks that that want to just silo. There is still a market for that, but I, I found that whereas in the past everyone's asking me for definitively full stack from front to back, um, that has changed. And and again, exhibiting that willingness to learn is is really the differentiator there. I think that's really good news because there is a lot of pressure on especially new engineers to learn everything. And so the ability to really focus on one thing and feel confident in just programming overall with Ruby or React or whatever you need to do, I think that um, really sets expectations better. So I'm really glad to hear that that is a trend that's happening. Yeah, no doubt, as are we. So how have boot camps affected the job market since many of them often teach Ruby on Rails? Sure. Uh, well, I'll start with a little story there because back in, I believe it was 2011, um, I got an email from a fellow named Sharif Bashay. And he said, Hey, I, I want to talk to you about something. I see your specialization in Rails. He says, I'm, I'm thinking about starting a, uh, uh, what I'm going to call a boot camp that, you know, will be a, a three month intensive immersive session. For engineers uh, who have a, a proclivity to, or, or for folks who are not engineers, who have a proclivity to uh, toward engineering to uh, to get up to speed and to become uh, viable software engineers, and you know I'd love to. Uh, you know, he's very much into giving back and into helping folks, and and he says I think I'm going to call it Dev Boot Camp, and and I said oh well this sounds this sounds great this, the market could totally use this um, you know tell me more. So that was an interesting conversation. He was obviously the founder of Dev Bootcamp, um, you know, which sadly is, uh, is is gone away, but was really at the forefront of all the code schools out there. And I just I remember so succinctly that first conversation and uh, in talking with other um, other entrepreneurs about their code schools as, as they were ramping those up. But uh, yeah, it's it's really come the full gamut because you know I will say transparently, you know when boot camps first started in in those first uh, cohorts of graduates were out there, um, you know there were, it was a little bit of a negative connotation so to speak about you know how long it's going to take them to get up to speed that sort of thing. It was it was a little harder for even us to maybe help some of those boot camp graduates at the beginning, and it has really come full circle because now fast forward to today. We have so many 
uh, boot camp graduates of all kinds that are just up and down the engineering teams at all of our clients. And, and I, I have some clients that date all the way back to 2007, 2008, when they first started using Rails that are still clients of mine today. Um, and, and as I look at the background of some of those engineers or some of the engineers that I help them now hire, um, it is incredible how impactful um, in, in a short amount of time uh, uh, code schoolers and boot campers have become. And they're really an integral, integral part of uh, the landscape in Rails, especially out there. And, um, and, and as you know, you know, many of them are teachers now and, and you know, are teaching Rails to, to those students and doing a really good job of it. It's, um, it's really been heartening. It's almost sad in a way because I feel like in some ways, you know, DBC went away and, you know, a lot of their graduates are now doing so well. And, um, you know, I kind of wish they were still around. But, you know, there are other great boot camps and, and code schools out there, and, and I hope they're here to stay for sure. I hope they're here to stay as well, also as a boot camp graduate myself. And I went through in 2013. And so it's been quite some years, but I'm really grateful to get that start through a boot camp. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, it's... Uh, it's been a great evolution, and, and I think they will be here to stay. I agree. So what can a Ruby on Rails developer expect to see in a modern interview? Are we still getting whiteboarded? Oh, yes, the dreaded whiteboard. Yeah, this is probably the number one question I get from engineers when I first meet them, or you know, if someone I, I just don't know, or, or even if it's someone I have a relationship with, everyone wants to know, like, okay, that company sounds great. What's the interview process look like? And uh, and then the next line is, well, let me just cut to the chase. Do I have to do whiteboarding? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the good news is that used to be the case, but it really isn't anymore. In fact, I've seen a dramatic shift away from it. And I know, you know, the Googles of the world still do it. And, and frankly, it makes sense for them. And, and, you know, the reasons they say they do it are that, um, you know, there are, uh, you know, very few, um, they, they know they get a lot of false negatives, which they're okay with. So they know that they're going to run a lot of people through these whiteboarding sessions. They're going to pass on a lot of engineers who would end up being able to do a good job, but they don't do well on the whiteboarding, and they just move on to the next one. Um, so they're aware of, of the false negatives. Uh, but what they don't get a lot of are false positives. Um, you know, Anyone that does make it through those Google interviews typically does well at Google. Um, so they're okay with that, and it makes sense for them, and I get it. Uh, the startups and you know, a lot of rail shops that, that – we recruit for and that are out there don't have that luxury, you know, that some of those uh, Googles and Facebooks have. So uh, they've they've moved away from it. And, as, you know, the, the, the talent is so tight as it is, um, you really can't afford to have those false negatives. You can't, you can't have good people who, for whatever reason, might struggle with a, a dry erase marker in their hand, but would otherwise do well in a real setting, you know, with, uh, you know, behind a keyboard. You, you can't, you can't pass on them. You gotta, you gotta have a more discerning eye. So, a lot of my clients have moved to what I think is a much more practical approach, um, which is a pairing session. So, uh, you know, there may or may not be a code test at the beginning. That, that can be fairly uh, prevalent. But uh, when you're on site, um, they'll have you sit down and, and work side by side. It's really the greatest way to kind of understand what it's like to work with you and to, to kind of see you in action. And I feel like the majority of developers that I help really appreciate that because it's very realistic. And uh, that tends to be what most of our clients, at least, are doing these days. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Print Peppermint is refreshing creative print and design. Print Peppermint offers beautiful letterpress business cards with their free custom design service. 
They offer proofing with professional designers from Texas to Germany, South America, and India. Even better, they have a 100% money-back guarantee. Visit printpeppermint.com and enter the code RAILABIGLINEOFCODE at checkout for 10% off your order. Discount code is in the show notes. Thank you to Print Peppermint for sponsoring the show. That's good to hear. So I have to ask, because you're privy to so much information on both sides, what are your do's and don'ts for interviewing? Oh, boy. How long is this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll keep it as brief as I can. Um, the do's and don'ts, I would say, are interestingly uh, almost always cultural in nature, and, and actually fewer of them are technical in nature. Um, so let's, let's kind of go through it. Uh, I would say the, the do's, um, you know, early, okay, here's a big one. Early on in the interview process, you'll often get a code test, right, as an engineer. You'll get some sort of code exercise, code test. One mistake that I've seen engineers make is they sort of value speed over thoroughness. And because their thought is, it's, a, it's kind of a baseline test just to see if I know what I'm doing. I'm going to bang this code test out, get it back to them, move on to round two. I've seen a lot more companies pay very close attention to that very first step, that code exercise. And what they're looking for is, uh, you know, your, your development practices. And what they specifically look for are your testing capabilities and the test coverage within that code sample. Um, and I, so I tell engineers now, I say, look, you know, I know this isn't going to take too long, but definitely spend the extra time to do a really good job. You know, produce production level code here, even though it's a code exercise, because they're going to see what the test coverage looks like to make sure that you have sound practices throughout your code. And I think doing a good job on that initial code exercise is very important. I think a lot of people can, for lack of a better term, blow it off a little bit or or not put in their best effort. but uh, it's just important to make a really good first impression, even on that code exercise. That would be that would be one thing that comes to mind. Um, I would say other uh, other do's and don'ts. Um, I would be prepared to discuss real projects that you've worked on and, and that you're proud of. Uh, oftentimes, this is asked of engineers, and for some reason, it, it catches folks off guard, or they're not prepared to talk about it. They haven't thought about it thoroughly enough. Um, so that would be something to keep in mind. Uh, this goes without saying, but I, but I feel like I have to say it because this, again, I do see this. Uh, being prepared is just so critical. I think just taking the uh, the ten or fifteen minutes, even if it's just that, to uh, research the company that you're interviewing for, you know, as, as thoroughly as you can. You know, oftentimes these these companies will have an engineering blog. Um, dive in, you know, get a feel for their technologies and why they use them. Um, you know, research their history a bit. Uh, really get to know their product. Then you know that's another thing that that often comes up. Um, that, you know they'll ask about their specific product and, and your thoughts. And have you signed up for a trial? Let's say. And um, you know, oftentimes developers you know don't take the time to do that. So that would be certainly another thing. Um, and I would say full transparency is something that you know I really highly value in our business. And and I know that um, it goes a long way in an interview. So. You know, if you're in the middle of a pairing session and you hit a, a bit of a knowledge gap and there's something you don't know or there's an interview question you don't know, uh, don't be afraid to own the fact that you don't know it. I, I think the transparency around, uh, you know, what, you, what you're able to handle or not handle is, uh, is, is fine and, and highly valued. I think when, 
engineers can sometimes get caught trying to uh, trying to you know navigate their way through an answer they're not totally sure of. Uh, it can be revealing, and they can dig themselves a little deeper and deeper into a hole. Um, and, and you know that can sometimes come across as disingenuous. So you know just being comfortable with yourself, I think, is uh, is a very important factor with just about every interview. And um, you know, a couple more. If I had to, if I had to think of them, would be one would be, um, and maybe this would even be the last one, but it's a very important one. I'd say is to not let the perfect job be the enemy of the very good job. I, I do see that from time to time, and I think oftentimes amongst the excitement of you know looking for a new job in such a hot market, developers can lose sight of a, a great job offer that's sitting right in front of them sometime because they're, you know, they have sort of this idyllic vision of, you know, landing at the next Instagram or being part of that uh, really special startup out there that I'm sure does exist. But, you know, oftentimes I, I think like any big decision in life, when you get a really good feeling about something, uh, you get a good feeling about the people, you know, the work that you'd be doing, um, you know, if the culture is good, then you shouldn't overthink it. You know, it's more than likely that you've really found the perfect match, and it's, it's, it's kind of sitting there right in front of you. And, um, you know, no job is perfect, but you know, if there's a great one right there and, and you're getting good vibes all around, go for it. I love that because I agree there is not – there's no such thing as a perfect job, but it's really your responsibility of – voicing what you're looking for and what kind of fulfillment you're trying to get from work to your employer very early on so that you can get closer and closer to that perfect job. It might be a small change. So for example, say I'm an early bird and I like to work from 7am to 4, but a lot of startups are definitely more towards the 10 to 7 type schedule. If I just accepted that schedule at face value, then I might be unhappy. But voicing you know, my preference to my employer early on, they, may, they might be thrilled because they might need to have coverage for a certain time of day that they've always just been kind of blank on. And so when they hear that I want to work at 7 a.m., they're like, this is perfect, that you know, absolutely you can have that schedule. So I think just as to your point, being very transparent is really ideal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um... Yeah, and, and and I guess maybe if I had to throw in one last one, it would be, um, you know, showing sort of a uh, an optimism and enthusiasm throughout the interview process. Um, you know, sometimes that, that comes across naturally. And, uh, you know, if it does, you know, run with it. Because I, I think some people in the interview process can, can come across a little too casual. Um, and some can come across a little forgettable. But being sort of at that, there's a spot between that that is uh, sort of aspirational and inspirational. And if, if you can achieve that and, and be true to who you are, that really does shine through. And, and, and it shines through technically when you're pairing with someone and it shines through culturally. You know, when you're kind of sitting down and talking to someone, I think sort of being your genuine self and uh, owning the good and the bad is uh, it, you, you cannot beat that and it really does stand out and it just it makes you very attractive as a candidate absolutely because the person that you're interviewing with it will likely end up having to champion you and so you know help them out uh, cheer you on absolutely so Brian how can our listeners follow you and get in touch with mirror placement yeah well thank you very much uh, well I'm certainly on LinkedIn and happy to connect with uh, you know any any rails engineer out there willing to connect with me um, that's that's always great uh, our website uh, I really like our website I think we do uh, you know as, as best as we can to convey what we're all about and that's at mirrorplacement.com 
Uh, and obviously my email address, you know, anyone out there that, that might be listening that's, uh, that's interested and would love to just touch base, uh, I'd love to do so. And my email is brian, B-R-I-A-N, at mirrorplacement.com. And, uh, you know, the last thing I'll say is, and I talked about it earlier, sort of having the long view approach is really key. So, you know, feel free to reach out if anyone would like to, uh, whether it's looking for career advice, uh, salary advice, um, it, you know, it doesn't have to be if you're looking for a job or, you know, you don't have to think that, uh, you know, if there isn't a way for us to work together right this minute, that I wouldn't be interested in hearing from you. It's, it's the opposite. I, I really, really do value the relationships and, and building those relationships. So uh, if anyone wants to get in touch really for any reason, um, it, it might be a job change that you're looking to do now. That's great, too. But if it's not and it's more uh, from a career perspective and you have some questions about some things, I would love to chat. I'm always open to that. Awesome. Well, I hope some of our listeners uh, take advantage of that. Thank you so much for appearing on the show today, Brian. I have a feeling this is going to be an episode that will be shared for years to come. Well, that would be wonderful. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure.